1: And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to us, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're back. But before I launch into the topic for our first full episode back from, well, I don't know how I'm back from Michelle's leave, but somehow that's true, too. Uh, (laughs) I thought everyone would want to hear a quick hello from Michelle. So take it away, Michelle.
0: Hi everybody. This is so great to be back. I was excited for this all day. I'm like, yes, Kate and I are podcasting tonight. And to be honest, a little nervous too, because we haven't done this in a while. In a hot minute. (laughs) In a hot minute, yeah. Um, And so much, of course, has changed in my life over these past few months making the transition to motherhood. It's just wild. It's wild. (laughs) Um, But yeah, everything is going well for me. I gave birth to my son Noah on November 5th at 42 weeks pregnant. I was very pregnant and I had to be induced because he did not want to. Get out of there on his own. He was warm and cozy, but... He did not want to leave. (laughs) No, he did not want to leave. Um, But he's doing well, because, yeah, as we record this, he's, um, you know, now coming up on four and a half months old, almost, which is wild. Um, But, yeah, he laughs. He plays with his toys. He's healthy and growing and doing really, really well. So... Yeah. Everything's going great for him and great for me. Like I'm really enjoying being a mom. And I think as anyone who is a parent knows, it's, it's, you know, it is a lot of work. And it's also like the most worthwhile, best thing ever. So I do. I I, really love it. motherhood suits you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I appreciate that. You guys are
1: pretty awesome together, and also he is just the cutest thing.
0: And Kate's a great auntie.
1: Ever there has been. (laughs) All right, so shall we get into it? Sure. Well, I guess I ought to do my little disclaimer first. Mm-hmm. Uh, as many of you know, being adults means not always having great options. Uh, and so I'm doing this tonight and excited to be doing this tonight. On the other hand, a nice dialectic is also I'm really nauseated and my back is most of the way out. So I'm not feeling quite my usual self. Um, and also, if I try to adjust how I'm sitting, I don't want anybody to be terribly worried. <laughs> if you hear a little gasp or whimper noise as I try to navigate moving in my chair without my back.
0: Or like shifting uh, furniture. Murdering kind of me. A thing.
1: Yes, exactly. If you hear furniture or if you hear me, you do like, <gasps> like little, <laughs> little sounds. I promise I'm not dying. My back is just trying unsuccessfully to kill me
0: yeah yep and my little disclaimer along the lines of parenthood is that you know i'm recording this at home my son is here with my husband downstairs and even though i am about as isolated as i can be in my walk-in closet where i normally record episodes there is the off chance that if he is crying loud enough For, you know, whatever reason he might be crying, the mic may pick it up. So don't be surprised either if you happen to hear very faint baby crying in the background. In the background. So, yeah. Those are our disclaimers. <laughs> <All right. laughs> there
1: are our disclaimers. Now, actually, on to the topic. Yeah. Uh, today is actually, I like it, Michelle. I'm just going to own it. We kind of called it a giant Q&A. Yeah. Um, But all on one topic, we actually in the last month or two have received a couple of different emails talking about the struggles that folks with an ADHD diagnosis might be facing or often do face when it comes to trying to engage with DBT. Right. So I do want to separate out that while we'll be reading the emails that inspired these, so you'll have a good idea of of where we were inspired from as well. Um, I do want to say this isn't so much skills for how to help ADHD, how to cope with ADHD. It's less of a skills-based episode altogether, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. What this really is is, hey, we understand that some of the symptoms of ADHD can really get in the way of engaging with how DBT is usually taught and some of the skills that are usually considered essential to DBT. Uh, So hopefully that makes sense. That's the angle that we're coming at this from. And to start us off, I'm going to read the email, one of the two emails that got us going down this path. So. The email reads, why is DBT recommended for ADHD when the therapy seems to ignore the condition? It has got to be apparent that a huge chunk of folks doing DBT have it, and it changes everything. It's really important because DBT and all CBT for ADHD walks a line between helpful slash maybe necessary for treatment to blatant and damaging gaslighting. I feel like this could be addressed and adapted around if only ADHD people weren't so marginalized in situations like this. Have you talked about neurodivergence in any of your episodes? Have you ever come across a DBT expert who does? My takeaway from your first episode is that I need to pause first, in parentheses, how with a bunch of question marks, uh, that I need to pay attention, another how, uh, sorry, and that I need to pay attention. It says you also said that engaging the wise mind can be practiced by using your wise mind. I'm sorry, but I'm left feeling a little lost by these things. Is DBT an attention-based therapy, as you mentioned? Why are people telling me to do this? That's not even to address the attendance and homework issues, which many people with ADHD have trauma around. What about us? There are so many of us in the population, many with bad emotional regulation and behavioral issues, who need help.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot in that email, and we're going to do our best to cover and touch on the issues that that listener brought up, which were all really, really valid things to to bring to the forefront so to start off though we think it's important and we've done this with some of our other episodes right when we talked about dbt and ptsd or dbt and bpd right so many acronyms (laughs) um
1: (laughs) i know so many
0: yeah that it does feel important to just talk about what are the criteria for adhd Um, The disclaimer we're going to give here is the same disclaimer we've given with those other episodes whenever we're talking about a mental health diagnosis, which is do Mm -hmm. not diagnose yourself. Uh, Let a therapist diagnose you. If what I read tonight with the ADHD criteria really rings a bell for you and it resonates for you really consider seeking out working with a mental health professional to gain a little more clarity and insight about this. But we are not here to diagnose you and we do not want you diagnosing yourself. Um, Because also, (laughs) I know, especially with the PTSD episode, right, we touched on some criteria, but I did not read everything. And I'm not reading everything here tonight. So even if you're checking all of these boxes, (laughs) there's still other nuances with the diagnosis that we're not going to take time to dive into. So just take this at face value for what it's worth, but it is important to be really clear with what we're talking about with ADHD. So basically ADHD has three different types, you could say. There's the inattentive type, that's number one. That was previously known as ADD. Then there's the hyperactive type, And then there's the combined type where you have inattentive symptoms and hyperactive symptoms, both. So basically people can be one or the other or both, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, So I'm going to read off the inattentive symptoms first, then I'm going to read off the hyperactive symptoms. So... With both of these lists, um, what it says to meet criteria is that uh, you need at least five of these things with what I'm about to read. So I'm just going to read them off. Number one, blank. Number two, blank. And hopefully this will make sense because it's a lot of material to get through. (laughs) So with inattentive symptoms, number one, often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, or during other activities. Number two, Often has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities. Number three, often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. Number four, often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace. Number five, often has difficulty organizing tasks and activities. Number six, often avoids, dislikes, or is reluctant to engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort. Number seven, often loses things necessary for tasks or activities. Number eight, is often easily distracted by extraneous stimuli. And number nine, is often forgetful in daily activities. So those are some criteria there. And then the next is a list of symptoms for hyperactivity. So number one, often fidgets with or taps hands or feet or squirms in seat. Number two, often leaves seat in situations when remaining seated is expected. Number three, often runs about or climbs in situations where it is inappropriate. Number four, often unable to play or engage in leisure activities quietly. Number five is often on the go, acting as if driven by a motor. Number six, often talks excessively. Number seven, often blurts out an answer before a question has been completed. Number eight, often has difficulty waiting his or her turn. And number nine, often interrupts or intrudes on others. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about ADHD. There could be a wide variety of different ways that it can look depending on what boxes a person may check because that's that's a lot of different that's a lot of different things (laughs) it is a lot of
1: different things (laughs) yeah yep
0: so yeah on the other hand
1: i don't know i also think do you think i don't know this is neither here nor there to what we're talking about today but i like how they're starting to sort of include more adult sounding things Mm. but some of them Mm -hmm. still sound very much like they're just being oriented at kids. Yeah. And I'd love to see language that more encompasses how that same symptom or criteria might look
0: in an adult. Yep, um, I completely agree. Yeah, because ADHD is one of those things where hopefully if somebody is meeting criteria for that diagnosis, it is diagnosed in childhood so that that person can get the resources and the help that they need while they're going through school. But yeah, there are a lot of adults with undiagnosed ADHD and it's for exactly the reason you're mentioning, Kate, that it can often be overlooked because the wording in how the diagnosis is talked about is geared more towards kids. Yep. So anyway, that's just a just a little observation that I've had before that always makes me a little like,
1: as someone who can sometimes, who is occasionally responsible for diagnosing folks with various <laughs> and sundry things, I wish I felt more like I had a real handle on some of that wording and what it would look like
0: in an adult, but
1: mm-hmm. oh well. That's where we are. Yep. Shall we move on?
0: Yeah. Let's move on to basically okay. the first thing we're going to talk about.
1: <laughs> I know. So broadly speaking, uh, this part that I'm about to tackle next is with regards to mindfulness and ADHD. Um, Before uh, diving entirely into that, I want to read another email that we got on this topic um, and remind you that the first email talked about issues with the sort of pausing first and how to pay attention so much um, that it seems like mindfulness is asking for. All right, this new email reads, having combination ADHD, mindfulness is very difficult for me. Sitting quietly absolutely is not a thing for me, so I've tried to do normal things mindfully like dishes and vacuuming, and I'm definitely mindful at the start. But almost immediately, my mind starts to wander. The first few times it happens, I can bring my focus back to the task at hand, but I usually end up getting drawn back into a random train of thought. At some point, the random train of thought is distracting enough that the thought of being mindful is gone. And then all of a sudden, the dishes are done, and the last few minutes are blank, and I realized I was on autopilot again. Do you have any other recommendations for ADHD brains for staying focused on being mindful? Mm-hmm. So the similarities that I see in both of these, well, I mean, they're very much the same, right, of this, I don't know how to sit still uh, for a long period, not don't know how to, sorry, Absolutely dismissive and incorrect wording on my part. i I do not do well. I struggle to you know get myself to sit still for prolonged periods of time. sustained attention on one given thing is difficult to, for a period of time. Uh, my mind wanders pretty consistently, right This idea of pausing is hard for my mind, right these are these are kind of the the issues that both of the reader emails uh, talk about so. I'm going to do my best to see if I can talk about what mindfulness is and isn't and how that can work better or more easily be accessed by folks with ADHD. Um, So, one of my favorite anecdotes, which those of you who are longtime listeners have almost certainly heard way back at the beginning in the first, I don't know, probably (laughs) like three or four episodes, uh, where we're talking about mindfulness, where I talk about the anecdote of a Buddhist teacher. Um, who has been telling their students over and over again, you know, do one thing at a time, do one thing at a time, do one thing at a time, only one thing at a time. Uh, And then a student comes down and finds the teacher reading the newspaper and eating cereal. And the student is like, hey, what about doing one thing at a time? Uh, And the teacher comes back and says, well, when you're doing two things at a time, do two things at a time. In that particular case, they say, if you're eating ice, eating ice cream, I'd like that too. I meant cereal. <laughs> Apparently, I know where my brain is. Uh, <laughs> eating cereal and reading a newspaper, then eat cereal and read a newspaper. Right. So I just want to lean into this idea that, I guess uh, mindfulness is flexible, more flexible than most people think it is. Maybe even more flexible than we did a good job of getting across earlier. Right. While you might think of there as being this, ah, I don't know what's a good term, supposedly in air quotes, gold standard way of practicing mindfulness, which may look like being still, may look like doing only one thing, may look like these long bouts of sustained attention on one thing. I mean, that's lovely if you can do it. Uh, And as these two listeners point out, it is not accessible to everyone. Right. So the first way that I think about it being flexible is maybe you're not paying attention to one thing. Maybe you're paying attention to two things or three things. Right. If you've found yourself sort of bouncing between three or four different activities, like in the span of time that you're wanting to practice mindfulness, see if your mindfulness can't just sort of flow with you. Right. If you're doing multiple things at once, see if you can't be mindful of what the experience is like to be doing those two things at once. Do you notice if you're, you know, really seemingly doing the two things at once? Do you seem to be actually just going back and forth, but for very short little blips of attention? Right. It can be more about noticing your own how you're moving through the world or what you're doing naturally as opposed to changing what you're doing in order to fit into being mindful. So that's the first first thing that I think about, about how mindfulness may be able to stretch or flex in a way that can be a little bit more accessible to folks with ADHD. Uh, the next thing, which I will say, this second listener email says perfectly, is that you know mindfulness doesn't have to be about doing one uh, type of thing like meditation or being still and quiet. It can be about doing anything that you're doing in your life. So uh, this last email mentions that she tries to do a, say like vacuuming or doing dishes um, which is great. That is absolutely uh, one of the things that I want to mention uh, in case other folks aren't already clued into that idea that you can be mindful of absolutely anything at any time. Right. Um, Both of the people talk about having their mind wander off. And so uh, I keep saying the other thing I think about. Apparently, there's a lot of other things I think about and I need a new phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing and another thing. uh, (laughs) New transition phrase. I'll find one in a second. Um, Is this idea of I want people to. Be more self-accepting around doing mindfulness And I badly, right? Um, Maybe your mind does wander off immediately. That's actually surprisingly normal, even for folks who aren't diagnosed with ADHD or have ADHD diagnosed or otherwise. Um, Most, like a lot of human brains have a hard time, especially early on in trying to practice mindfulness with staying focused for more than a couple or a few seconds at a time. Uh, So that's not a failure. That's a pretty common and almost to be expected result of trying to engage in mindfulness, especially when you haven't done it before. Um, Also, uh, not just self-acceptance, but realize that it actually, it still helps. Doing it badly, again, quotes around the badly, still gives you most of the benefits, if not all of the benefits i'd have to think a little harder probably all of the benefits of doing it the gold standard way right it's just like doing uh reps with weights right if you think about it every time your mind wanders off and you bring it back to the task that you're trying to focus on that's like doing a rep also like weightlifting. Everybody has different amounts of reps that they can do before they have to put the fucking weight down, <laughs> right? We're we're not all going to just be able to waltz into a gym and pick up an 80-pound barbell and just stand there for an hour doing curls, right? Like, that's not necessarily something many people can do, right? Maybe I go in and I pick up a 15-pound weight and I can lift it five times and then I'm done for the day because... I'm worn out and I can no longer flex that muscle. So for ADHD, folks, this may just mean you're starting at a little bit of a shorter span of time that you're paying attention to. And also, perhaps you just can only bring your mind back to the task at hand fewer times, perhaps, than someone else who doesn't struggle with ADHD. That doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It doesn't mean the mindfulness isn't serving a purpose or being useful to you. It's still helping to increased connections in your prefrontal cortex. It's still helping to calm down the amygdala. It's still helping different sets of neurons to start working together than have before. It's still providing a benefit. Um, The biggest thing that's going to keep it from providing that benefit, I would say, and Michelle, feel free to disagree with me, uh, is the judgment around it, right? It's not, it's not going to do the same things if Every time you try to engage in mindfulness, you end up thinking, you know, judgmental things about yourself because now your mind's just going to start associating mindfulness and Mm self-judgment. And that's not what we want it associated with, right? Then your brain's going to really fight you on engaging in mindfulness, right? It's not going to be about a lack of ability or practice or how used to doing it you are. It's going to be that your brain is, rightfully so, avoiding it because it associates it with shame. Right. So if there's any amount of increased acceptance that someone with ADHD can bring to what practicing mindfulness is going to look for them, what what it's going to look, how it's going to look um, for them. It might be just a little bit different than how we think about it or even I hate to say this, maybe even how your DBT teachers taught it to you originally. Right. There's. I'd say in the actual DBT materials, I do see talking about you can do it about anything, anytime, like there's an amount of this is talked about, but it depends on how heavily any given teacher does or doesn't lean into that aspect of it in their teaching that's going to leave any given student more or less aware or comfortable with having mindfulness flex for them. Um, and last but not least, I did just want to, hmm, how to frame this, that's, Acknowledge the difficulty, right? I know that I'm talking about it being accessible, trying to remind people of how it can flex. That being said, it is going to be harder, especially starting out for someone with ADHD than for someone without. And that sucks. And I wish that weren't true. Um, And also, knowing that it's true, ideally can lead you into having more self-compassion, right? Like, oh, I have a thing that I cannot change about myself. Uh, that means this is going to be more difficult for me. Right? That's okay. It's not good. It's not happy making. It's not, you know, let's go throw a party on the roof. Um, but, right, we can accept it and we can accept ourselves with that challenge. Um, which will help you ideally practice and stick with it because as you practice it more, sorry, just pausing for the uh, people driving past me in the incredibly loud car, Um, (laughs) right? As you stick with it, it's going to get easier. You're going to feel like you're doing it quote unquote more correctly, right? It's going to continue to build. Because right now, the neurons in your brain, you know, we say neurons that fire together, wire together in an ADHD brain, there are a lot of neurons firing and they're very used to firing together, right? This is something your brain is accustomed to. This is how it knows how to run. And it's going to take time to try and teach it a new way of being, even for short spans of time. But the more you practice, the longer those spans of time will become. So those are kind of my thoughts. Michelle, anything to change or add with what I was talking about?
0: Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I was thinking about while you were talking is, you know, DBT breaks mindfulness down into the six different components. You know, the yeah. three what skills, the and what the three and the how skills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I was really thinking about, which was like, ooh, that is not – dbt or not dbt friendly not adhd friendly <laughs> See, <laughs> we're, we're getting back up on this horse y'all you're yeah, awesome. we, we haven't done this in a while um <laughs> is the one mindfully piece oh gosh yes 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 because it talks about when you're walking walk when you're eating eat when you're you know yeah do only one thing at a time do yeah. only one thing at a time so if you have an adhd diagnosis let that go don't worry about yeah. that piece of mindfulness, <laughs> is what I would say. Um, so, yeah, that felt really important to name. To and acknowledge. Yeah. yeah. And just also, you were speaking a little bit to this at the end, but just really that dialectic of, this is going to be harder when you have a diagnosis of ADHD and... It's still a good thing to do and practice anyways. Like sometimes we can, I think, get into this habit of thinking that if something is hard for us, we just should maybe, I don't know. I don't want to say like not do it, but like, okay, if this is a challenge, then this isn't for me, right? If this is, this feels too hard, then yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And if I'm doing it badly or if it's too hard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Then I, then I just suck at it. Right. And it's one of those things where, yeah, it is gonna be hard, like you acknowledged, and that's partly why it's maybe worth it to do it. And yeah, pick and choose. Pick and choose. You don't have to do all six components of mindfulness perfectly because nobody really does. Just try to do some of it. <laughs> <laughs> try to try to do some of it. And also DBT talks a little bit about the idea of mindful movement right so things like going for a walk or hiking or horseback riding or you know dancing martial arts or dancing or yeah or, or some of that stuff when it comes to practicing mindfulness might be a better fit for you if you know you struggle with ADHD then yeah like you were saying Kate you know m- not meditating with your eyes closed sitting still it's probably not going to be your style that's okay just just find what's going to work Work for you and just be really kind to yourself. Yup. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, on to the next piece here. So we're going to take it back to the first listener's email because they brought up a concern in their email that seemed really important to talk about. Which was the attendance and homework issues if somebody with ADHD is enrolled in a DBT group? So, we thought this would be really important to talk about. I also want to address a couple of their other questions where they say, um, Have you ever talked about neurodivergence in any of your episodes, or have you ever come across a DBT expert who? does. I mean, I'll own it. I don't really think we have talked about neurodivergence in any of our episodes. And I don't don't know of anyone in terms of who does DBT that addresses neurodivergence. So Right, These are really good points to bring up and a big part of why we wanted to do this episode because it is long overdue in recognizing that depending on what you may be struggling with your mental health, some of the stuff that DBT talks about is either not going to fit for you at all (laughs) or be much more of a challenge for you. And the strictness that a lot of times comes with a DBT program of, do a diary card every day (laughs) and group attendance and all of that. Yeah, this is important to talk about because we don't want it to be that you are not engaging in a DBT program because of struggling with ADHD, that it just feels too much or too overwhelming for you. So we wanted to talk through some tips or thoughts we have around that piece of it. So, the first thing that came to mind for me is that it's so important whether you're going to do DBT in a group format or working with an individual therapist to learn DBT skills, whatever it is, try to find somebody who is understanding of ADHD. Now, specific questions to ask around this. Most, if not all, mental health professionals have some degree of understanding of what ADHD is is but it's really important that you ask the question like if you're enrolling in a group ask the question of have you had other participants in this in a, in a DBT group before that are diagnosed with ADHD or how do you address attention difficulties in your group ask the questions, let them know that this is your diagnosis up front, and see what their experience is with this. If they're like, mm, no, not to my knowledge, I've never had anybody in a group with an ADHD diagnosis, might not be the group for you or it might not be the therapist for you. Um, individual DBT therapy is very structured as our groups, And so it can be one of those things that when you are diagnosed with ADHD, that structure um, might not, the best way I can think of to put it is it might not work as well. (laughs) You might need a little more space or a little more room to process through. It might be a lot to do your diary card check-in in in three minutes. (laughs) That might be a lot (laughs) to condense your thoughts down and get out what you want to say in a short period of time. So asking those questions of how does ADHD, you know, how do, how do they consider that in a group or when working with a client individually. Um, with that, something that might be helpful to ask from your therapist, again, either group therapist, individual therapist, is to see if they offer reminders for appointments or for groups. Like my clients, for example, they get a text reminder 24 hours before their appointment. And if the group or the individual therapist doesn't have anything like that set up, ask if that's something that they could accommodate for you. Whatever you think you might need. You might want a reminder the morning of group. You might want a reminder 15 minutes before group. <laughs> Because if you get a reminder in the morning, you may already forget by the evening. Whatever you think would be helpful in having a reminder for you. Oh, yeah, group is tonight. Or, oh, yeah, my therapy appointment is today. Ask that from the therapist. They may say that that's not something they can accommodate. But ask. And I really hope that you can find somebody who will accommodate that for you. And recognize that this might be really key to you being successful. So you just need that brief little reminder, and then that will really help in your attendance. Um, And then the final thing I'll say on this point in terms of making sure that you find a group or an individual therapist that's going to be a good fit for you is to find somebody who's going to take a strengths-based approach. What I mean by that is that some DBT programs out there and, yeah, basically the way the DBT was originally designed DBT very much focuses on right problem behaviors, quote unquote. Or uh, there's this other term in the therapy realm called uh, therapy. I think it's called therapy resistant behaviors. Do you know what term? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So or therapy interfering behaviors, something like that. So so it's this idea that sometimes people will self sabotage, right? So they will miss appointments because. They're scared of doing the work that therapy requires Um, or they will not do their homework or that kind of a thing because they are struggling to be fully willing to dive into this. That is true for some people, but that's not necessarily true if you are struggling with ADHD for why you might not be getting your homework done. (laughs) It may just be Because of challenges with getting organized and challenges with remembering that stuff. So you're going to want to find a therapist who is going to understand that you're not doing these things because you're resistant to doing the work. That if you are late or if you miss a group or if you're not doing your homework, it's because of ADHD. And finding somebody who, rather than focusing on the fact that you were five minutes late to group and viewing that as like, ooh, that's a that's a therapy interfering behavior <laughs> or that kind of a thing, you want someone who's going to be like, awesome, you made it. We're so glad you're here. And essentially be able to, I don't want to say like give you a pass, but just will be able to recognize what you are doing right and your efforts more than potential mistakes or shortcomings. Like giving grace, or maybe. Yes. That's the perfect way to put it. That's exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. You want somebody who's going to be understanding rather than somebody who's going to be critical, um, and view that in a negative light. You don't want that. That's not gonna help no. you be successful with doing DBT. Um So there's a lot in that. Um, But, yeah, it's really important to find somebody who's going to be a good fit and who can make accommodations for you is essentially what I'm getting at there. Um, I will pause there before I continue because there's more that I want to share. But (laughs) I'm going to take a quick break from talking. Kate, do you have anything else to add on to that point about finding someone who's a good fit when you have A H E? Oh, gosh. Um...
1: I'd like most, you know, most, I'd like everything you were saying, right, with this idea of advocating for yourself first. Um, I did want to acknowledge that some folks might have a hard time with that. So, um, and that can be ADHD or not ADHD, Right? there's all sorts of reasons why people mm-hmm. might have a hard time asking those kinds of questions or advocating. Um I'm a big fan of utilizing our relationships and or community to help us in places where we might have quote unquote shortcomings or struggles or difficulties. Um, if you have a friend, a spouse, a housemate, a you know, a person in your community in some fashion or someone in your family, a family member um, who might be willing to call these therapists or group leaders for you, send emails for you, um, do sort of this initial uh, not necessarily legwork because I would imagine you were finding people for them to contact but that advocacy piece right because that can be really hard especially for folks who aren't used to being accommodated or who um, I don't know how put that uh, don't always recognize that they deserve it right or that that's something that's reasonable to ask for um, so that kind of self-advocacy there we go I can speak um, can be really challenging
0: so yeah That actually made me think of something too, because here I am talking about how it's important to communicate with the therapist that you're going to be working with around these things. But yeah, you can absolutely communicate with roommates, friends, significant others, whoever it might be around like, hey, I'm going to be doing this DBT program. My DBT group is on Thursdays. Can you remind me (laughs) 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 on Thursday that I have DBT group or... Can you are you open to sitting down with me for ten minutes a day to help me with my diary card? that kind of a thing and see if they're willing to support you in that way? So, yeah, I really like that idea of drawing on the supportive people in your life to help you as you might be embarking on learning DBT in a formal setting because it's yeah, it it's it's a pretty big task with without ADHD. And so, yeah, if they can help you and be by your side, that's a really good point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The other thing that's important to talk about when it comes to attendance and homework is diary cards. Woo, (laughs) Woo, diary cards. Uh, The thing that I wrote down in our notes is the diary card is going to feel daunting. It's not neurodivergent friendly.
1: (laughs) That's Um,
0: true. That is true. Well, especially
1: some. I will say, can I just own that I'm really proud of our diary cards? I do like our diary cards. Um, Oh, which I think we're supposed to put up in the group, by the way, if we haven't
0: already. I feel like there's been requests for that. (laughs) I believe it's somewhere. Is it? I think it's in the guide section. We have a guide of diary cards. I'm pretty sure it's in there. Okay.
1: Those of you who want them, I will say... I think they're some of the most straightforward and simple diary cards I've ever seen. And yes, I have seen some diary cards that, yeah, what in the name of everything that's holy? Holy shit, are they a lot? Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. I just wanted to pat us on the back because I think of all the ones I've seen, ours might be the closest to neurodivergently friendly. <laughs> anyway, yep. moving on. Sorry. Give it, I'm giving you hey,
0: the tennis... Ball is back in your side. <laughs> no, it's all good. I appreciate it <laughs> um, because, yeah, and and what I mean by that is that if you have not ever seen a diary card, there are some diary cards that want you to think about and track a ton of different things, and diary cards, by and large, most if not all, are expected to be in this written format. So if you are not a visual learner, if reading or writing is difficult for you for any reason, diary cards may be a challenge. Some involve more writing than others. Some are really mostly just checkboxes. You're not actually having to write out anything, uh, which ours actually have fill in the blanks to write things out. That's so every diary card's a little different, um, but yeah, if processing information visually or in a written format is a struggle for you for any reason, diary cards are going to be tough. And this is where it might be helpful, like we were just discussing, if you have somebody in your life that you can basically narrate what you would want to write down on your diary card. Dictate. And- <laughs> Dictate. There we go. Um and tell them what you want to write down and then they can write it for you or they can read questions to you or that kind of a thing. That could be a helpful way to do diary cards. Um, The other things that might be really helpful, there are lots of DBT apps out there. Admittedly, Kate and I have not taken a deep dive into exploring the different apps, though lots of people at our Facebook group have. Oh my goodness, they have tons of recommendations. People in the Facebook group know all the apps, which is great. Um, <laughs> so there are there are lots of different DBT apps out there that have ways to track skills that might feel a little more accessible potentially. And, you know, also, I think one way that you can track whether or not you're using skills, if this would be helpful, and again, if writing things down is not your thing, do a voice recording. Um. Into your phone. I like that one. Yeah, yeah just, just talk. Just say, these are the skills that I used this week and this is when I did them. And this is why, coming back to the first point, it's really important to find a therapist who's going to be open to you tracking your skill use in other ways besides a traditional diary card if it's going to be too tough for you to remember to do it on a daily basis, which is ideally when dbt wants you to do it, if it's going to be too hard to remember to do it, or even if you do remember to do it, it's just not in a good format for you. My hope is that you'll find a therapist who is open to other means and other methods. Because the whole purpose of a diary card is just to remind you to use your skills and to come back to group and be able to, or individual therapy, and to be able to tell your therapist, look, this is how I use dbt this week. That's the whole point of it. And there are so many means to accomplish that task. So yeah, use apps, use voice recordings, use somebody you know as you dictate what you want them to write down, if that would be helpful. Try to find other ways because yeah, I agree, diary cards can be really overwhelming, especially for someone with ADHD. Because I do not have an ADHD diagnosis, but there are some diary cards that I look at them and my brain is wandering all over the page. <laughs> like, Whoa, there's this section over here, this section over here, and there's so many different things to track. It can be super overwhelming. So try to find something else um, if that would be helpful for you. Um, the final thing that I want to say about concerns related to like attendance and groups and homework and all of that. Kate and I say this a lot of times at the beginning of groups that we lead is that DBT groups go fast. They do. Every week, there's at least one new skill. And the expectation is that you will practice that skill during the week and then hopefully get some understanding of it and feel comfortable with it. And then the next week you come back and you learn a brand new skill (laughs) and then you try to implement that skill as well. And it can be a lot. And so sometimes the experience that people can have again, ADHD diagnosis or not is that, wait, I'm still trying to figure out the skill from week two and we're already on week five. And I'm feeling overwhelmed and like I'm not going to be able to use all this stuff. And so what I recommend is that it's really important, especially with ADHD, to try to pick one skill to focus on instead of trying to balance and manage all the skills at once. In general, this is a good rule of thumb with DBT. (laughs) But this is especially important with ADHD because... It's again, especially with acronyms and all of this. Like, (laughs) there's so much to remember. There's so much to try to organize in your brain. Just pick one. I mean, we have had groups where people literally, we we always, for Kate and I, the groups that we lead, we teach mindfulness every group. Um, We have an introductory night. That's week one. And then week two, we teach wise mind and the mindfulness skills. And we will have people who literally they just focus on trying to tap into their wise mind (laughs) for the next six weeks of group. Like that's just what they're focusing on. That's what all of their diary card check-ins are about is whether or not they're using their wise mind. And so that's okay. That's okay. If you're really just trying to track one skill because it feels too, too much to try to track all of them and to try to learn them all. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to make this podcast is because we want it to be that people can learn this material, perhaps through a workbook or through meeting with a therapist in group or individually. And then if they're like, wait, I need more for this skill. (laughs) Like I was trying to pay attention in group, but my brain was wandering. I missed what my facilitator was saying. I was too nervous to speak up and ask a question, but I'm really not understanding what the hell this means that then you can maybe listen to a podcast episode (laughs) and help you learn the material that way. Again, especially if you're more of an audio learner. Like for you, if reading, if your brain just is wandering all over the place while you're reading text on a page, but you find you can focus better when you're listening to something, especially if you're listening to something while you're maybe moving around and doing something else, we wanted to make sure to give this format So whatever format would be helpful for you, but yeah, if there's other resources you can tap into outside of group to help with remembering material, do it because the groups move quickly. And yep, if your brain happens to be wandering somewhere else, you probably are going to miss some material, but we don't want you to feel completely, completely lost or completely like, oh, I just went through this group, but I felt like a waste of my time because I couldn't retain any of the information. don't want that to be your experience so try to try to pick one thing or again at like the end of the night of a group or the end of a session with um a therapist individually see if you can maybe pick just one takeaway like one thing to hold on to don't try to hold on to all of it (laughs) just one thing one thing that you're taking away from that so just really narrow it down and try to make it as manageable as possible for yourself, because we are well aware that this stuff can move really quickly. So, yeah. Um, anything else to add, Kate, with that piece of things? Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's so
1: much something to add as just a reminder, maybe both to ourselves and to other people that, I wholeheartedly agree with your and my uh suggestions, perhaps obviously. Um, and we're much more flexible <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> about our approach to DVT than many people are. Yeah. And so um, I think there's another sort of balance. Like, absolutely be trying to, like, find... Therapists or groups that can cater to ADHD to uh, maybe find uh, like sticking to one skill, whether that be per night or even per like module that you're really focusing in on and recognizing that maybe something near you, there isn't a great group that's you know mm-hmm. catered to that and you might have to find other ways of as you were talking like michelle supplementing yeah uh you know like how you're learning it in order to cement it um if you say like i'm just really focused in on wise mind this you know whole module or whatever you know you might have pushback from an individual therapist or a dbt teacher like you know all or nothing these skills are meant to build on each other mm-hmm. like I, you know i don't know exactly how it would be phrased because I haven't heard it, but I know it's out there Um, for, you know, a lot of people can get really uh, rigid um, about DBT. So just a, I hope for anybody listening that's trying to find these things that you can and also don't, I don't know, don't, I don't want to set you up for failure if you find so much resistance that it like deters you. Just expect there may be resistance and try and have scaffolding built around yourself to help you get through despite that resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not find it, but you might. And it's better to be sort of prepared for that possibility than not be. So just a little ownership that Michelle and I are much more buffet opinions about about dbt than many people (laughs) many people dbt is a prefix menu with no substitutions yep um
0: and we're much more
1: a la carte (laughs)
0: yeah yeah we yeah we try to be that way because i i'm just scrolling back to the first listener's email and the part where they say that basically dbt walks a line between being helpful and necessary and then also it can be damaging Yeah. And gaslighting, you know, like that stuff unfortunately can and does happen because if you are say wanting to have a fidget with you in group or if you're going to need to at times, I mean, our groups are two hours long yeah and we tell our participants, we said this in person when we were doing groups in person, we say with our virtual groups, we're like, get up, walk around, do what you need to do. But if you're going to have a dbt facilitator that views that as really disruptive um, and is basically telling you to sit down and be still while you're learning the group material, that is going to be damaging. Hurt. Yep. Yeah. It's hurt. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and it it is a good point though, that you're bringing up Kate, which is for as much as we really want to believe that you can find somebody that's going to be accommodating and going to be a good fit. Yeah there may have to be this level of heh, radical acceptance that <laughs> that may that that may not be available to you. If you try to talk with the therapist about what your needs are and if they are not understanding and not accommodating, it I don't want to say like it would be best to just not do <laughs> the DB2 treatment um, in that setting but just going into it recognizing that there may be this misunderstanding and there may be these particular challenges for you and that that is not your fault yes that yes so yeah that point feels important yeah. Feel all Debbie downer with that one. Sorry. <laughs> no, but like it is. It's it's really true. I mean, and people reach out to us all the time. They're like, "I don't have DBT near me." And we're like, "Nah, I wish you did." But
1: right, yeah, not it's near me, not a lot of people, not necessarily mm-hmm. like different, not more within my price range, not, you know, yep. not something that's covered by my insurance. Right? There's so
0: many different things that might be limiting to mm-hmm.
1: your access.
0: Yep. Yeah. Totally. Unfortunately, we wish it wasn't that way, but yeah. Hopefully, some of those tips will will help if you are doing a DBT program in some fashion to yeah. have it work for you. I hope so. Um, too. Okay. Awkward self promotion. Awkward self promotion. We have so many
1: names because it's been so long. So many I love names. It.
0: Yeah, we got a number of new patrons while I was on maternity leave, and we are going to list them all tonight, because they have all waited Woo-hoo! long enough for their shout-out. They so, have indeed waited long enough? <laughs> here I go. <laughs> so, we are shouting out Misty, Alicia, Angela, Jessica, Janice, Jeffrey, Jennifer, <laughs> another Jennifer, <laughs> oh! Marie, and Steven. I guess I... have it would have been great to look up the last name initials for the Jennifers. Oh, there you go. You oh, know well. who you are, both of you. No, you know no. who <laughs> you are. Yes. And we are so appreciative of your support. We are. We're very grateful. Thank you, guys. Yes. Uh, if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com dbt and me. So that's where you can go and support us if you are so inclined. Also, check out the Etsy shop. Uh, Etsy.com shop slash dbt and me. Basically, if you just go on Etsy and search for dbt and me, you will find the shop. Um, Kate has done a fabulous job while I was on leave of making <laughs> posts every Monday. We call them merch Monday posts, talking about a different sorry. thing in the shop every week. So. sorry.
1: <laughs> Uh, Yes, and also I want
0: to own that Michelle has scheduled
1: those posts out for what item to feature through the entirety of this year, I think.
0: I did. (laughs) A long time ago, when we first started putting (laughs) a bunch of products in the shop, I was like, I need some kind of schedule for what to post when, which is not surprising. You.
1: No, it's not me. surprising at all,
0: but I just don't yep. feel like I can take quite so much ownership for all of it. I've written the blurbs, but
1: I've stolen your <laughs> uh, your schedule.
0: <laughs> this is true. It's a team effort. It is um, a team effort.
1: Like so much we do.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing is to give us a rating or write us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. I noticed we bypassed over 60 reviews on Apple Podcasts, so <gasps> that's very exciting. Um Help us get to 70 reviews if you're so inclined. Um, and then send us emails, dbtmepodcast at gmail.com. We are going to be releasing more Q&A soon. We have a lot of Q&A material that built up while <laughs> I was on leave and we weren't <laughs> recording. But we can always use more and we want to be here to answer your questions. So send us emails. And because it's taking us a long time to answer them in actual Q&A episodes, we will email you back as soon as we can. Same brain. I
1: was just going to say, let people know they'll hear back by email and not have to wait forever for the actual episode
0: to come out. We will get back to you. So uh, that's a great way to reach out to us. So yeah, podcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you have some time and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, and if you haven't already, um, check out our other podcast, which is The Couch and The Chair. We're going to be starting to put out new episodes there as well. Um, So head on over and give that a listen. I guess I'll... I don't know. I'm gonna give a little blurb about it because we haven't talked about it in a long time. If you're like, "What is sure. the couch in the yourself. chair?" Work <laughs> with power with your awkward self-promotion moment. Yes, no, I'm joking. Go Here <laughs> we go. So we have this other podcast called "The Couch in the Chair," and the rationale for the name is that when you do therapy, a lot of time there is a chair that the therapist sits in and a couch that the client sits on. To be clear, it does not lay on like. Sigmund Freud. All right, um, come on. You've had
1: one or two, haven't you? I've had a couple that lay on the couch.
0: Really? Yes, absolutely.
1: I don't think I have. I did not direct them to do this just to say. It was not, to, like, now lay on the couch. their legs
0: on the couch and get really comfy on the couch, which is what well, I, I totally do with my had therapist. had people lay
1: full out on their back on
0: the couch. Fascinating. Okay.
1: Maybe that me, the it case. delighted me. I felt so, like, Victorian.
0: <laughs> You're like, I am, I am very much a psychotherapist right now. Um, but anyways, there's normally, <laughs> there's normally a chair for the therapist and a couch for the client. So we call the podcast The Couch and the Chair because Kate and I, as we have mentioned many times on DBT and Me, not only are we therapists, but we are also clients in therapy ourselves. So Kate has a therapist that she meets with, I have a therapist that I meet with, and we wanted to create a podcast where we are both sharing really openly about how therapy has benefited us, what we work on in therapy, and our own personal struggles with, I mean, various topics of all kinds, and how we have worked through some of those things or how those things have impacted our mental health. And then we also want to talk about, as therapists, things that we recommend to our clients, tips, suggestions, and advice that we have about that topic. So it's really this dialectic, which I hadn't thought about it that way before, but it's really this dialectic of these are things that we both help people with professionally and things that we have worked on personally too. So if you've really liked some of the DBT and Me episodes where we share personally a lot um, like we did in the radical acceptance episode or like we did in our episode we did an episode about grief at one point and so some episodes of dbt and me we share our personal experiences but in the couch and the chair you get a heavy dose of that so if you like hearing our personal stories um, that's a great podcast to check out and hopefully some of our personal sharing will be helpful to you and relatable with what you may be going through and Jin has entered kate's room i know i was thinking to myself that if
1: i had a physical embodiment of what adhd might do to my life and brain it might be this cat like wait what was that what's going on oh my god you're interrupting me in the middle of my own sentences i've lost my thoughts now like he's aren't you but also, maybe I'll just help everybody because I will say it entertains me to know end to see all of the different ways that people spell his name when they write about him in emails, oh, yeah. et cetera. Uh-huh. But for the record, it is D J I N N Jin, like a genie, only the not Americanized spelling. Um, so he is he is a little he is little Jin. Yes, that's is. very
0: appropriate that he would come come into the room the first podcast episode back <laughs>
1: wouldn't it right was michelle did a lovely job of not allowing herself to be phased by my trying i'm sure unsuccessfully to sneakily get up and let the cat into the room but i figured if i was hearing him through my noise canceling headphones <laughs> seems quite plausible if not probable that the mic might have picked it up
0: so. very possible <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs>
0: All right, I think um, that's all okay. the awkward self-promotion stuff. Did you
1: tell people to join the Facebook group?
0: No, I forgot that. Yep, join the Facebook group. Go into your Facebook and search for DBT and Me Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like that. There will be a little, like,
0: into your Facebook. outro at the end of the episode, too. So, yes, find the Facebook oh, group. Oh, that's true. I
1: forget about that sometimes. Okay. So uh, I think it is spectacularly appropriate that gin is in now, Um, that the gin is in, Um, because we're going to try and do a little bit of a different closing moment today in honor of what our topic has been about. I will admit this is new for me, too, so we'll see how well I do at sort of leading this particular flavor of closing moment. As we addressed the, all right, sit still, relax, close your eyes, focus in on your breathing, right? My usual intro to almost every closing moment forever (laughs) may not be working for all of you who are listening who have ADHD. So today, you're not going to change what you're doing at all. You don't have to slow down, close your eyes, stop moving, none of that. Whatever you were doing while you were listening to this podcast right now, you just get to keep doing. So that's difference number one. And all that I'm asking is for folks to notice whatever they can notice while they're doing this. So uh, to start with, just notice what it is you're doing. What are you doing right now? Are you sitting still? Are you standing? Are you in a car? Are you walking your dog? Trying to think of things people told us they were doing during closing (laughs) during the podcast. Um, Right? Just notice, what am I doing right now? Also notice, what are you thinking about right now? Are you thinking about the podcast? Are you thinking about what I'm saying? Are you thinking about the podcast, what I'm saying, where your dog is, and also what you have to get at the grocery store once you're done with this? Are your thoughts changing topic now or now? It's okay. The whole point today is only noticing and only noticing what you can notice. There's no right or wrong to this, right? This is perhaps the most open uh mindfulness closing moment that we've led the only intention is to be with yourself non-judgmentally that's the same as the rest of our mindfulness exercises so being with yourself non-judgmentally and being in the moment but what being in the moment means today is not necessarily thinking only about this moment It's noticing what you're thinking about, whether that be something in this moment, something from your past, something in the future. Noticing also perhaps urges in your body. Are you fidgeting with something? Would you like to be fidgeting with something? Right? Just noticing whatever is. Because whatever is, is perfect right now. It's what you're doing. It's where you are. It's who you are. And that's all fine. So, I'm going to take, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute. And I'll mostly just be quiet. I will intersperse just two or three what about nows into that silence. Just to remind you not to change what you're doing, but to notice what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what your body's going through, any one of or all of those things. What about now? What about now? Okay, everyone, I'm hoping that that helped bring a few of you a little bit more into your moment and also gave you guys a little bit more of an acceptable and accessible dose of mindfulness. And we will catch you next time. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you, everybody.
0: To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.